Hey there, you're listening to The Simple Home, a podcast for the modern mom looking for a slower pace, a life with less stuff, less to do, and more time for what really matters. Living simply is more than just getting rid of clutter. It's about letting go of expectations to create a life of intention. Motherhood is the ultimate Groundhog Day experience, where much of every day is spent on the logistical stuff necessary to keep everyone alive so you can wake up and do it again the next day. You don't need just one more thing. You need easier ways to manage the constant cleaning and feeding, the overwhelming clutter, the never-ending to-do list. I wish I could hire you a personal chef, a nanny, a housekeeper, and a personal finance guru, but I can't. What I can do is support you in your journey of letting go of all expectations and taking life at a slower pace. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast today. Hey there, welcome to episode 12 of the Simple Home Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna, and today you are in for such a treat. I had the pleasure of interviewing Danae Barahona, and she is the founder of Simple Families. She is the author of Simple Happy Parenting. She has been on the Today Show, and she has helped thousands of families live simpler. So I am so excited to share this interview with you. We are talking about so many amazing ways to simplify parenting and to stop over-parenting and start just enjoying the day-to-day to make some of those parenting tasks easier so that you have less pressure on yourself and you can truly enjoy your kids for who they are right now and your life for what it is right now in this season. So I can't wait for you to listen to this interview and just take away everything that you can. Cause I know as I was interviewing her, I was literally soaking up every single morsel of wisdom that I could. So without further ado, here's the interview with Danae Barahona. Hey Danae, uh, first, I just wanna thank you so much for, for being with us today and being on the show today. I am so excited to talk with you and just pick your brain for the audience Um, about what it means to simplify our lives and our parenting. So thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me, Jenna. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening and don't know Danae yet, she is the founder of Simple Families, which is a blog, a podcast, and an online learning community. And she really helps parents simplify their homes and then also gives tips on how we can simplify parenting. So it's not quite so overwhelming and we can find simpler ways to manage all the all the things that we manage. So Danae, I'd love for you to kind of tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to where you are right now in parenting and in your business. Sure. So I started Simple Families about two and a half years ago. And I, at the time I was finishing up my PhD in child development, my little bit about my professional background, I was, I'm a clinical social worker. So I did more traditional child and family therapy for several years, um, before going back and doing my PhD in child development. And I had my kids, I have two kids, they're three and five now, and I had them both actually while I was in the process of finishing my degree and writing my dissertation. And I had started blogging a little bit on the side 
in the middle of this process, um, to add one more thing to my (laughs) already growing list. And I knew that I wanted to share some of what I was learning throughout my child development program and, um, the family wellness work that I was doing. I wanted to share that with other parents, especially as I was a new mother and, Initially, I was blogging and writing mostly about feeding young children, and that was because that's what my PhD or my research interest was in. I was writing my dissertation on the parents' approach to feeding young children and the impact it had on kids eating later on. And I was writing about that for probably about two years, and during that time, I started to get interested in minimalism. I kind of stumbled upon it. I'm like, I am not a natural minimalist (laughs) by any means. I have a long, long history of clutter. I like one of my most strong memories from childhood is my parents yelling at me to clean my room. Um, (laughs) so it's, it's definitely something that I always struggled with. And when I became a mom, I realized that it wasn't something that I wanted to pass on to my kids and it wasn't the way that I wanted to raise my family. And so I started growing more and more interested in decluttering and and minimizing and more from a personal perspective. And I was still interested in this, um, the aspect of parenting and the parents approach to feeding young children. And I started writing some, some blog posts about minimizing my home. And there was a lot of interest. I had a couple posts that went really viral and it was showing me, I was like, people want to read this. This is what they want to learn about. And I was wondering, I was like, you know, is there a way that I can still talk about feeding kids and I can talk about getting rid of my stuff because they seem so unrelated. Um, But what is there a connection between the two? Because in my heart, I felt like there was some kind of connection. And that's sort of where this intersection between simplifying the home and simplifying parenting came about because I realized through all of my research that one of the main reasons that really wonderful, amazing parents struggle with getting their kids to eat well is because they're actually doing too much. Um, and that they're, they're trying too hard and intervening too often. And sometimes they just needed to step back and scale back on their efforts. And sometimes when you've tried everything, you have to try nothing. Um, so I, as I started drawing these connections, I realized that there's so many areas of parenting that we have the best of intentions that we want our kids to be healthy and happy and successful. And, The reality is it requires less of us. And if you're someone like me, who's a little type A and just really a go-getter and wants to do everything and be everything, someone telling you to do less is, is hard. It doesn't come natural. Absolutely. So I, that's one of the reasons that when I found your blog and your podcast, I um, really kind of dove in because I love that you have that intersection because it's so true. I mean, the more that we start to let go of our things and our physical things, but also the mental clutter that comes with parenting and just that desire to want to be and do everything. um, It's so helpful that you intertwine those ideas and help to start with the physical clutter, because I do feel like Um, sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we don't realize that our homes are so overwhelming that we um, are already overwhelmed before we even start trying to implement some of the parenting things. And so I just love that you do both of those things for us on your podcast and, and have that approach to it. 
Yeah, it's been a really natural connection that sort of emerged as I've moved towards simplicity more and more. I mean, it definitely started out in the house. And then once I finished simplifying my house, I realized that my brain was still really cluttered. And that was the <laughs> right. next the next Absolutely. thing to tackle. And yeah, it's been, um, it's been a natural progression, but I will say that it's one that I didn't anticipate. I never really, I never dreamt of the connection before it sort of emerged on its own. Right. That's kind of the way it goes, right? We kind of find those paths as they, they kind of build on each other, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. So you have a brand new book out, um, Simple Happy Parenting. And I just have to say, I got the book like immediately when it came out, cause I knew that I would, I would benefit from it. And, um, I pretty much devoured it and I could talk to you about it for hours, I think on this podcast, but I really want to dive into some of the concepts you talk about, um, with the parenting piece. I know I talk to my audience a lot about minimizing and decluttering, which you also go through in, in this book. And that is amazing. Um, but I don't always touch on the parenting side of it. So I'd love to talk about that. And one of the quotes I wanted to read, if it's okay with you, can I read a quote from your book? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so in the book, you said, when I was pregnant with my first child, I knew one thing for sure. I knew I wanted to give my child the world. I wanted to do everything and be everything for my family. Can you, I know we kind of just touched on this a little bit, but can you tell us a little about where you started your thinking and then kind of how it has changed over the years? You said your kids are now five and three. So kind of that journey for you. Yeah. Well, since I came in, I feel like I came into motherhood with a little bit of a leg up because I had a lot of educational and professional experience working with kids and family. So I felt like I, I came in pretty confident, like, you know, I read all the books, I read all the research, like I know what to do. And I think that's, there are a lot of perks to that. I am definitely one to say that I, I remember someone saying to me, like, you can't learn parenting from a book. And I do agree with there's like, it's mostly learned on the job, but I definitely think <laughs> that educating yourself and reading books can totally help and make the process run more smoothly. Right. Um, but I think in my case, uh, knowing so much about parenting and children and child development almost made me feel like I needed to do it all. So not only did I need to know it all, but I needed to actually act on all of the things all of the time. And it felt like a lot of pressure, not just on me, but on my kids too. And I knew yeah. a lot of things, um, I knew them intellectually, but I had a hard time putting them into practice. Like this idea that kids all develop on their own timeline. And that was something that I, I knew like backwards and forwards. I read it, I've read it in a million books. I've read it in research and I know that on an intellectual basis. But when I had my first child and he was a late walker, it was something, it was really hard for me because I think that somewhere deeply ingrained in me was this idea that if I just do everything right, my kids are going to be ahead of the curve all the time. Um, and I didn't really dream that I would need to give them that space to develop on their own pace. I thought that, you know, it was just going to, they were going to walk early and talk early and read early and just, you know, be these little, be these little protégés because, um, <laughs> I was going to give them everything and do everything. And it actually sort of flip-flopped. And I learned that I needed to slow down and give them the time and space that they needed to grow and develop at their own pace, because I wasn't doing anyone any favors rushing my kids through their early years. 
<laughs> right. I think we kind of get sucked into that a little bit, though, because it almost feels like a reflection of how good of a job we're doing as parents. If, you know, if we have a child, my, my daughter was a very late walker. And then my third child was even <laughs> later. But by that point, it was kind of like, I hope he doesn't walk yet. Right. <laughs> but, you know, my daughter was a late walker, too. And it almost felt like I must not be a good enough mom to, you know, be doing what she needs to be able to walk. And of course she, she was fine. She walked just fine. And, um, but it sometimes feels like a reflection on whether or not we're doing a good job with our children. And yeah, like what type of, like if we're a good parent or a bad parent based on how our children are developing and it's, it, it's not, that's, it's just not the case. And right. like I said, I think I knew that intellectually, but putting it into practice was a real lesson for me. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, on so many different things. And even as my kids are growing now, it's just a constant reminder that they're doing it on their own time. And my job is to not rush them. My job is to teach them to be content with who they are and teach them that they're good enough. Yes. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think we can probably all relate to that, that we, we put a lot of pressure on our children based on the pressure that we feel as parents. So I love that you said kind of just constantly reminding ourselves that we need to give them that space and the time that they need to develop because they will, they'll develop and we will forget all about all that pressure that we put on them. But if we just give them the time that they need, it's better off. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you also talk about in your book, um, the impact of busyness and clutter, how, how impactful that is on our children. So not just the pressure that we put on them, but just all the things that we have them in or, um, the clutter that surrounds them, the toys and the clothes and whatever else we have that we're collecting in our homes, like most of us. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this impact and how you see this playing into, into their development? Yeah. So I get a lot of people asking me about transitions and telling me about kids who struggle with transitions. You know, they struggle to yeah. put their toys away and brush their teeth or they struggle to get in the car, um, getting kids into the car seat, whatever it is, moving from one thing to the next. And I think that the key part of that is it's not how do we get kids to deal better with transitions. It's how do we give kids less transitions? Because yanking kids in and out of the car all day long or in and out of activities all day long is, is going to be difficult for even the most flexible of kids. And a lot of times when we have kids who are struggling with this sort of thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, it's, it's a fault with them, but more of maybe a fault with the schedule and the way that we're living our lives. Um, so I think that we have to understand that our kids have agendas just like we have agendas and the agendas that really like we, we say that, you know, we're being respectful parents, we're going to respect our kids. But the reality is most of the time, the only agendas that matter are the adult agendas, right? Like I've got to get up, I've got to get to the doctor's appointment, we've got to make lunch, we've got to do the laundry, we've got to do this. Now we have all these things that we have to do and that are important to us and boxes we have to check. But our kids also have their own agendas. And that usually looks something like um, roll around on the floor flip through a book, <laughs> stack a block tower, whatever it is. So to us as adults, it looks like 
silly. It looks like quote unquote play. It looks not super important, but it's the most important thing to them. So when we're pulling kids away from their most important work to do the things that we want them to do and we need them to do, of course, they're going to be upset. And of course, they're going to have a hard time transitioning out of that. And now I'm not saying that we should never pull kids away from things or that they don't need to adapt to adult schedules and adult agendas because they very much do. But I think if we're mindful of this, this idea that the things that our kids are doing are very important to them and we need to be respectful of that process. It can help us keep in mind that, hey, this isn't all about us. They've got their own little lives going on and their own things going on. And if they get upset about it, that's just really a sign of the fact that they have their own agenda and we have our own agenda. And it's how to, about how do we bring those agendas together? How do we merge them so everyone is getting their needs met? Yes, that is such a good reminder. And I mean... I, um, so I was a teacher before I started this online, um, blog and podcast. And that's one of the things that parents often ask me about as well. And we do lots of transitioning at school. I was with the young kids and transitions are so hard and it is a hard thing for us to remember that our lives are separate from our kids' lives in, in some ways, like they have their own little lives. And like you were saying with the playing, we often view what we have to get done as more important than what they need to get done. And I think it's so important, like you were saying, to remember that that they have an agenda for the day and that we're kind of taking them away. And we would be just as frustrated as they are if, if we had to transition so many times. So I really love that you put that in there um, with the busyness piece of it, because we schedule them into all of these things thinking, well, they have to do soccer because everybody's doing soccer when they're four. And so our kids must need to do soccer. And if we take them there three times a week, then that's so many extra transitions that they probably, they may not even want to play soccer. (laughs) So I love that you said that. Yeah. And soccer is an interesting thing because I've actually noticed that there's soccer programs starting up for kids as young as 18 months old. And it's, there's this mindset, I think of parents that it's like, well, if it's available, then we should sign up for it. Like if there's soccer programs for 18 month olds, that must mean that 18 month olds are ready for soccer. And it's hard right. to sort of draw this divide because if it's available, should we be doing it right? Just because there's a school available for a six month old, does it mean, does it mean that a six month old needs to go to school? And I say this because a lot of daycares are changing their name from like the child care center to the child care academy and rebranding in a way that looks like school and like an educational facility when it really is daycare and childcare. But this idea I think is sort of haunting us as parents, as new parents, especially that if there's a school for a six month old or a six week old, then I better send my kid to school. It's available. You know, if there's a soccer program, if it's available, like, but the reality is like people are making money off of this. And <laughs> yes, uh, they are. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Six, 18 month olds do not need to be in soccer. Now, is it going to damage an 18 month old to be in soccer? No, probably not. Um, is an 18 month old just as well, like running around in a park, kicking a ball or like rolling around in the grass? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. So when my husband and I had our first child, we were living in a really tiny town and we decided to move back towards where our parents were living so that he could be close to his grandparents. And he was six months old at the time when we moved. And of course, in this tiny town, like there was nothing like you couldn't do music classes for a six month old. You know, I didn't even think about those things. But when I moved back, 
every single mom that I met had her kid in three or four different activities. And I thought, oh my gosh. So I signed my kid up for everything. I mean, we did music, we did art, we did, I don't even remember, but we did all kinds of stuff. And I realized I was miserable dragging him from activity to activity and never getting to play with him um, in his first you know, year and a half of life. And that's when I was able to really step back and think, you know, just because they're doing this doesn't mean that this is right for my family. And he's not going to fall behind. He's not not going to be an artist because I, you know, opted out of the one year old painting class. So Right. And yeah. it's hard to reconcile that as a parent. And I think that one thing that new parents don't take in mind is that when you go from being a childless couple to a couple that has a child, there's this immediate financial shift that happens where either one person quits their job and you're down to one income or you're sending a child to daycare or you're hiring a nanny and that's costing you a heck of a lot of money, like minimum a thousand dollars a month. And do you have that money in your budget? And not only that, but then now you have all these added expectations for these classes and things that you think your kid needs for their well-being. And I think, and I don't know, maybe you can speak more to this. I don't, I don't do as much research on the financial side, but I would guess that that transition to being new parents is a huge financial hit for most couples because you don't, you don't expect this stuff, right? Right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times too, parents, um, want to go to maybe that one income household, but really feel stuck. Like they can't. And it's oftentimes because of all the extra expenses that we think we have to pay for. I know when I, when I work with moms on their budgets and stuff, there's a lot of things that we can cut out, but we feel like we would be depriving our children if we do. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of a, a sad part of it is that you could potentially have that the means to stay home, um, but it does take some sacrifices, but they're not necessarily sacrifices. It's more just what we feel like we have to do for our kids. Um, and really the time is all they really need is time with us and time to be children. So yeah, I think it's yeah. definitely a financial burden. It is for sure. But what we can say, and I know you touch on this a lot in your book, is that really as parents, we all want the same things for our kids. And in your book, you say, um, you know, we want our kids to be happy, healthy, and successful. Um, but you also go into, like, we really can't give our kids these things, like these specific things. We can't make sure they're happy um, and healthy and successful. So can you go into a little bit of like what you mean by this in your book and what we can be doing to try and give our kids what they need to be able to meet those things? Yeah, I think that happiness is a really tricky thing because it is really easy to make our kids quote unquote happy. I mean, you like go out and buy your kid a new toy and they are so joyful for like 30 <laughs> seconds until until right. they're bored with it and moving on to the next thing. Um, so it seems like it can be very easy to give our kids happiness. And Th that reality, because it's so easy to hand them something and to see that change in demeanor and the change in expressions, it can seem visibly and on a surface level, very easy to make our kids happy. And we can go down this rabbit hole of this idea that it's our job to make our kids happy. Mm -hmm. And when they're not happy, it's our fault. And it's actually none of the above. Like it is not our job to make our kids happy. That's a heck of a lot of pressure that we're putting on ourselves 
to take responsibility for someone else's happiness because they sure they can experience some joy and elation from the impact of our behavior on them by getting gifts or getting special experiences, that sort of thing. But that's all fleeting and it's not going to last. I think the only way that we can really give lasting happiness to our kids is by showing them an example of happiness and being happy ourselves and really protecting our own emotional and mental well-being and teaching them through example. Yes, man, I love that. I love that you said that. Um, because you're right, we can make our kids happy in the moment, but we all know that two seconds later, they can be on the floor screaming about <laughs> something else and they've forgotten all about the toy we just gave them or whatever else it might be and that it is all fleeting. So um, I think moms struggle with that though, that um, the idea that we need to show them happiness, that we're truly happy because we often feel like we need to um, give it all to our kids and in doing so, we often um, don't take care of that part of us. So I love that you you brought that up, that they really do need to see us to be happy in order for them to know what that's like and to know, you know what the, the end goal is. It's not about a new thing that they get or a new activity they're enrolled in. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable for us to see our kids unhappy and it makes us feel uneasy. Um, I actually had someone ask me just this morning, a question about their kids being bored and how their kid was so unhappy when they were bored. And that's a very common reality that we see is that when kids get bored, they start to whine (laughs) if they don't have much experience with boredom. um, And they don't know how to push through that and to occupy themselves. And the reality is when we see a kid get bored and they whine, we, we suddenly feel inadequate. Like we're not doing our job and then we want to entertain them. And then we get yep. stuck in this vicious cycle of, <laughs> all right, you're unhappy. I need to entertain you. And then you'll be happy again. And then we turn into constant entertainers, which also is exhausting and also not a part of our job description as parents. Right. And that is definitely a trap that, that I know that a lot of people fall into. We do feel like we have to entertain our kids. And with with so much out there to entertain our kids, it's so easy to fall into that as well. I mean, as far as screen time goes and, you know, there's just so much we could be doing. I know that just as a family with young kids, we get invited to all kinds of birthday parties at elaborate um, play areas and different things. And it's really easy to go and entertain our children for the day. And um, they never get that chance to really innovate for themselves or create their own play or be outside (laughs) and that sort of thing. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, And I think it's, it's something that boredom is something that we need to make sure that our kids are experiencing at all ages. Yeah. And would you say too, I think sometimes that, um, kids aren't the ones that are uncomfortable with boredom. I think it's sometimes us. I think that we have been, trained as adults to entertain ourselves. And um, it's hard to, because I know sometimes with my kids, I'm watching them and I think, oh man, they're they're just sitting there. I'm going to have a blow up any moment. When truth is, they're just in thought and it's fine. But I'm feeling anxious about, you know, maybe I need to get out paint or (laughs) or something to give them. I think we've kind of trained ourselves to be entertained all the time. And it's hard not to put that on our children. Yeah. And we, 
have, we tend to apply our feelings towards boredom to our kids' feelings. And we definitely have a hard time as adults being bored, especially now that we have smartphones and we can just reach for our phone for entertainment any second. Um, but it makes me think of like when adults are picking out toys for infants, if you go to a store, you're like, Oh wow, this looks really fun. Like it lights up, it makes noise. It has, it has all these things. And we think like, yes, definitely my three month old needs this. When the reality is you're picking out something for yourself, something that looks fun to you, but what a baby needs and what a young child needs is they need quiet and they need time for contemplation and they need time for exploration and they don't need to have all the boxes checked of all the entertainment. And from a very early age, we can get sucked down into this hole of providing these things that do all the work for our kids and don't leave them any opportunities to innovate and to create themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right on with that. And I think sometimes even as your kids grow, I mean, those are the toys that my kids get at birthday parties and bring home. And I'm kind of have the rule of like no toys with batteries in our house because one, first of all, the noise and all of that, my kids don't need extra noise (laughs) and um, I don't want to replace batteries every other week. Um, But I think we kind of get sucked into that even as our kids, you know, as they get big, they get all these toys from friends and or go to friends houses and all they do is make noise and have, you know, no true learning impact on, on our kids at all. Yeah, absolutely. So um, another area, and this is something that I always um, love to talk about with moms is that you recommend getting kids into some of the day-to-day tasks of the households, you know, such as cooking. I know you cook with your kids quite often, um, folding the laundry and those kinds of things. Can you kind of tell us what that looks like in your home and how we could start implementing some of those things with our own children? Sure. So I try to include my kids whenever I can, and I don't force them to participate, but I make it open for them to participate. Um, So my son in particular really loves being in the kitchen with me and loves helping in the kitchen. My daughter is not quite as interested. She will kind of jump in and out um, and help a little Mm -hmm. bit here and there, but she doesn't show the quite the level of interest as my son does, but it has been increasing with age little by little. Um, so I have stools and a learning tower in the kitchen for them to join me. And I try to leave them out and available all the time so they can kind of just hop up and down um, whenever the moment shows. It doesn't have to be like this big event where I have to go right. and get a stool. And um, I try to make it easy and accessible for them. And likewise with getting dressed. So they share a dresser and they have very few clothes. So my son has about at any given time, five or six t-shirts, five pairs of jeans and some underwear. And my daughter has, she's in a dress, um, phase where she'll only wear dresses pretty much. So she has about four dresses, two shirts and a few pairs of jeggings to go under her dresses. And that's pretty much all that's in their drawer. They each have a drawer to get dressed. So it's really easy for them to go to their drawer. Everything matches everything else and they just grab something and they can put it on. Um, So it just, it empowers them to be able to do things for themselves by making these things accessible to them and making it um, available when they need it, right? If I had things hanging at the top of a closet um, or if the drawers had childproof locks or something like that on it, like it would just be much 
harder for them to be a natural part of the world. It would create more work for me to involve them. So I've always wanted to make our house as child friendly as possible. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, even at a young age, I don't think that we always think that kids can do these things on their own. Um, and they don't always do it perfectly. I mean, from the beginning, but what an easier job it is for us if we allow them to try from the earliest age and then continue to guide them and they'll be, you know, dressing themselves way sooner than if we just do it for them until we feel like they're truly ready. So I love that. And the fact that you have fewer clothes, you know, that always makes it so much easier, even for adults but for kids especially. And my, my son has actually started folding his own laundry. My daughter puts hers away. She's not folding yet, but she puts it away, but he does a great job. So we have this routine that we've set up where every afternoon they get 40 minutes of screen time. So they have lunch and then they get their screen time. And, um, so I put their laundry in a chair right next to the TV. So if there's laundry in the chair, they have to fold that before they watch TV. So first they fold their laundry and then they can watch TV. And, they do it and it doesn't really even take that long because there's not usually that much there. It's usually just a couple of things. Um, but it's definitely not perfect. <laughs> My son <laughs> is definitely like doing a five-year-old job of folding the clothes, but to be honest, it doesn't bother me in the least. Um, it doesn't really, people ask about wrinkles and I don't really deal with wrinkles in kids clothing as much. Um, and uh, I think, and I kind of hypothesize it's because we buy higher quality cottons and they don't get as wrinkly, but I don't know if that's for sure. A couple of people have told me that that's maybe the case, um, but we really don't deal with that. So even if it looks a little messy in the drawer, he's doing his best and I'm certainly not taking the time to refold it. So <laughs> I am right there with you. We kind of have a similar routine. We, I do laundry every single day because otherwise if I don't, then, then I have a pile on my couch. So we do laundry every day and same thing by the afternoon it's done and ready and we get it out and we all fold together, including my three-year-old. So I have a three, a five and a seven-year-old and truthfully, his is just kind of a ball. But, um, I think another thing you probably don't experience wrinkles much because if there's not a lot of clothes, the kids are wearing them often enough. They don't sit in your drawer. I don't feel like I get wrinkles often because the clothes leave the drawer pretty quick because there's not a lot of things to wear. So, you know, I think probably both those things go into it. Yeah, that definitely could play a role because it used to be when I had a normal size wardrobe, I, all my drawers were crammed to the max, like barely clothing stuff hanging out of the edges. But now I still, I'm not a great folder even for my own stuff. I kind of haphazardly do it and I rummage through my drawers and find things, but they're, the drawers are mostly empty. There's just a handful of thing in each drawer. So it's not like it's pushed up against other stuff. So you're right. That's probably part of it too, is that it's just kind of laying in there. It's not crammed. Yes. It it (laughs) can breathe. (laughs) Right, exactly. So one thing um, that I often talk to moms about, you know, we always say how much like how we don't have enough time to get everything done around the house and also have this quality time with our kids. There's just not enough time to do it all. And I don't work outside of the home very often. And so I know that that's different for moms who do have maybe a nine to five job and come home um, and have to get all these things done in that in that short amount of time. But I often tell them, you know, they can be washing the dishes with you and that's quality time, or even just sitting on the counter, drying them as you're washing them, um, and do that sort of thing. And you talk a lot about 
bringing them into those areas in your home where they're participating in, you know, the things that we usually say are the adult tasks, but participating in just what it takes to run a household, but then also having a lot of like unstructured playtime where, where these parents don't have to be juggling going from one place to the next. Um, and so if we kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about unstructured play and having kind of less entertainment from us, what does that look like and how does that benefit, you know, us as well as our kids? Well, we know that kids need a lot of time where they're unscheduled and where they don't have something specific to be doing even at home. And during that time, that's when they're going to be able to power through boredom and learn how to create and learn how to make something from nothing. Um, And I think that when we try to highly structure their time and we try to organize Pinterest activities, that sort of thing, our kids can come to expect that from us. They expect us to be the constant producer of ideas and the producer of entertainment. And we think that we're doing such a wonderful thing, right? We're like mom of the year. We've got like beautiful Pinterest projects every day. But what we're really doing and we don't realize is that we're actually robbing our children of the opportunity to create those things for themselves and to innovate and create new ideas around how they spend their time themselves. So I think about it less as everything I do as like patting myself on the back and thinking about everything I don't do. I'm actually opening up this door for my kids to do something and create something on their own. Yes, that's so good. And I think that we get caught up in, especially with Pinterest, I mean, any social media, we're, we're comparing ourselves, right? Every day to so many other moms and families, and it looks like they have this ideal world. But especially with Pinterest, you feel like, well, it's Valentine's Day, I guess I need to make 15 Valentine's Day crafts leading up to this holiday, and then buy my kids gifts because it's a holiday. <laughs> and Yeah. And I think that if we just let our kids be and just enjoy every day as just the day that it is and didn't put so much pressure on ourselves, we not only would have way more time to enjoy our children, but probably better behaved children because they're doing what they want and um, they'd just be more creative and and learn so much more from their time. So. Yeah. And I think there's, there's something about structured activities, whether it be ballet class or gymnastics class or a Pinterest activity at home, any kind of structured activities. I think in some ways we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because the minute our kid doesn't want to engage in those things and the minute they're not interested and they're like wandering in the corner or like rolling around on the floor or humming or doing something other than exactly what we want them to be doing, then we feel like it's a failure, right? We feel like, oh, I signed you up for ballet lessons and all you want to do is like sit in the corner or like talk to your friend or not participate. Like then they have failed us because they're not doing as we expected them to do. Or the same thing with a Pinterest project, right? If they're not participating and completing it the way that we anticipated they were going to do it, (laughs) there's some failure in there somewhere. You have failed as a parent, unable to execute this activity, or they have failed you as a child because they're interested in something that you put a lot of time, money, and energy towards. So there's, I think with structured activity, there's also certain expectations that get tacked on and they're not necessarily expectations and standards that serve us or our children well. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Now, one thing I know I'm anticipating from my listeners of this is I'm going to hear, like, if we don't entertain them, if they, you know, if they're just on their own to be bored 
they're going to be fighting. Sibling rivalries are going to happen. I'm going to be constantly putting out fires. I think that's a lot of the the reason that we entertain them all the time is so there's no time for them to do this back and forth bickering between siblings. Um, and I know one of the things you talk about in your book, Simple Happy Parenting, is to be a coach and not a referee. Um, can you kind of tell us your approach to that and how you handle your sibling squabbles? Because we we definitely all run into that daily, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely in our house. Um, so the, I think the first thing we have to do is we have to reimagine this relationship between our kids. And we have to realize that the relationship between our children does not belong to us. It really doesn't involve us. We are sort of a third party observing this relationship develop. And we don't own it. We're not responsible for it. We can't fix it. And by taking that piece out of the puzzle and realizing that this relationship belongs to your children, it doesn't belong to you, taking that pressure off of ourselves to fix it and to make it beautiful and to make it perfect um, and to make them get along all the time. I think once we can let go of that pressure and realize that this is actually our children's job to do, I think we can start to feel lighter right away because the power that we have over managing the relationship of our children is very low. We there's there's only so much we can do to help them to get along. And the, one of the main functions of the sibling relationship is that it helps to prepare children for future intimate relationships. And intimate relationships are challenging. I mean, I think most people would attest that they probably still argue with their own mother in adulthood the same way they did when they were 16 years old. Um, intimate relationships are tricky because they are a place where we can really feel free to express ourselves and our opinions and feel all the feelings. And they're always going to be intense and complicated. And this is just sort of this practice ground in the sibling relationship early on. So knowing that that's that relationship, even when it's tumultuous and it's difficult, that it's really serving a purpose for our kids as they grow. And it's, it's beneficial. The conflicts are actually teaching them conflict management and problem solving. So knowing that it's not all bad, it's actually doing our kids and us many favors when they do bicker and when there are disputes. And it's not a reflection of you as a parent, the way that your kids get along by any means. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do, um, I used to kind of struggle with this part when we just had the two and, you know, it's not fair to assume we know what their feelings are in the arguments and, and tell them to share all the time and tell them to be nice all the time. And so I really had to remind myself and I still do when I hear them start to argue, I literally say in my head, let them handle it <laughs> because otherwise I know that my natural inclination would be to jump in and try to smooth things over. <laughs> and um, But yeah, you're right. It's just kind of their practice ground. And we don't know what those big feelings they're feeling are. Only they do. And to be honest, I think they get it more than we do because they're closer in age. Like they get <laughs> the conflict a little better than, than an outsider jumping in. So... Yeah. And the way that kids manage conflict amongst each other is not ever politically correct. It's never going to look the way that it does or that we want it to. Right. Cause like if your kid ran into your other kid, like was passing through the room and bumped into the other one in a perfect world, they say, Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I bumped into you. But in <laughs> right. a real world, they're saying, move out of my way. And 
of course, as a parent, you want to correct that. And you want to be like, no, can you try that again? Can you please say, excuse me? Um, you want to fix all of those little discretions, I guess you could call them. Um, right. But the thing is, our kids don't necessarily mind when they're young and they're trying to work out those interactions and figure out what's socially appropriate and what's not. That sometimes the words that they're going to choose and the language that they're going to choose isn't what we would choose to use with another adult, but they're learning and they're practicing. And it's really not our responsibility to fix every single thing that they're saying or every interaction that they have that appears to little to be a little bit awkward and fumbling for us. (laughs) Right. Yeah, definitely. So I honestly, Danae could talk to you for hours and I, I know that this is going to be so valuable, um, for the listeners of this show. So I really, really appreciate you coming on. And I kind of wanted to end with, um, one other quote from your book and you say, I invite you to be a mother who cries, gets upset and throws a frozen pizza in the oven on the tough days be a real life mother who has imperfect children. And I just, I loved that so much when I read it because we can look at Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and we feel like none of the moms are doing that. They're not crying at the end of the day because they yelled at their kid or getting upset um, at their children or, you know, cooking a frozen pizza. Instead, they're cooking all organic homemade meals. And, um, so I just love that you put that on there, that our children aren't perfect and we are not perfect. And that's kind of the beauty of this whole mothering (laughs) job that we have. So I appreciate that part of your book as well. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me on. And just a side note, we're having frozen pizza tonight. I think that's great. <laughs> you know what? I got Domino's pizza, which is like one step from frozen pizza. Yes. Right? I didn't yeah, have to do exactly. any work uh, two <laughs> nights ago. So <laughs> yeah. So besides your book, I know I've talked about that a lot. Simple Happy Parenting, um, which I think you can get pretty much anywhere, right? Amazon yeah, or pretty much you know, Barnes okay. and Noble or wherever books are sold in whatever country you're in. Great. And I know anyone listening to this Um, really, this is a must book, in my opinion, like Danae was saying, any reading that we can do, just um, equips us with a little bit more in our toolbox. So I love that book um, that you just put out. And then also, where else can we learn about you and um, other things that you have going on? Yeah. So going to simplefamilies.com, you can leave your email address and the email list is the best way to stay in touch with the blog and the podcast and the community. Um, And I do run two programs throughout the year. I run the Mental Unload, which is a program focused on maternal well-being and stress and overwhelm for mothers and on improving partnership and communication. Um, And I'm actually running that um, enrollment is July 17th through the 25th. So if anyone's interested in that, you can go to simplefamilies.com and you can find the mental unload there. And then I also run another program called the Masterclass, which is really an extension of the book, which is to partner with families step-by-step through the process of simplifying the home and simplifying parenting. And I'm going to be running that one again in early September. So enrollment for that opens at the end of August. Okay. Well, great. I will um, link to all those things in our show notes. So they're easy to find. And again, I just appreciate you so much, Danae, and what you're doing for parents. Um, I just feel like it's it's such a need that we simplify our lives so we can simplify our kids' lives um, because there is so much, just so much overwhelm 
um, with this fast-paced world that we live in. So I appreciate you and what you're doing and the time that you spent with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Jenna. Uh Uh-huh. Thank you. Okay, so I hope you loved this interview as much as I did. I know I took away so many great things that I am going to use for sure in my parenting journey. And I just love learning from other moms like this because we all have such different experiences and different backgrounds and whatever we can use towards becoming um, the parents that we want to become and helping our kids grow and thrive, I think the better. So I highly, highly recommend her new book, Simple Happy Parenting. And also I will link to everything we talked about in this show, including Danae's mindfulness class, um, which sounds absolutely amazing. So I encourage you to check out her website, check out her book, Simple Happy Parenting, and um, the courses that Danae has, because truly she has so much knowledge that she can share with us. And so it was such an honor to have her on the show today, and I hope that you got out of this as much as I did. You just listened to an episode of The Simple Home. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I feel truly honored to be a small part of your life. Please take a moment to give a rating and write a quick review on iTunes. That will help this podcast reach more people, and I appreciate the feedback. We meet here every week, so hit subscribe so you know when the newest episode goes live. And for more practical tips on simplifying motherhood, visit athomewithkids.com. I can't wait to talk to you next time.